Hi, this is Sedge Thompson. Welcome to this special audio highlights podcast from West Coast Live. For more information about our shows and other guests and podcasts, wcl.org. I was uh, I was in Paris once in April. At the time, it was the coldest April Paris had had. Snowing throughout the month, even though there were tulips coming up in the Bois de Boulogne, hailstorms would knock them down. Beautiful colors on the ground. Didn't start to get warm until May. So I always wondered about that song, April in Paris. I felt a little, <laughs> you know, it should have been May in Paris, but I didn't know whether that scanned quite so well, you know what I mean? <laughs> John Baxter's book is called We'll Always Have Paris. Do you know the origin of that line? Ah, well. <laughs> I remember Paris. The Germans wore gray, you wore blue. <laughs> Subtitled Sex and Love in the City of Light. He lives in uh, Paris. He's also the author of A Pound of Paper, Confessions of a Book Addict. He's also been a, a, a biographer of uh, film figures, including Woody Allen, Steven Spielberg, Stanley Kubrick, and Robert De Niro. Please welcome John Baxter to West Coast. <laughs> How do you do? How are you? Have a seat over there. Well, thank you very much for uh, coming out of uh, Paris. Uh, did, you, did you leave because of the riots? What riots? There's no riots, you know. <laughs> we're, we live two blocks from where the riots were, and, and we didn't hear a thing. Uh, the big parades uh, go all the way around Paris and stop at 6 o'clock. Everybody goes home so the sitter can go home. They can have a good dinner. And then from out in the suburbs, 200 guys in black balaclavas arrive, head straight for the Sorbonne, which is the closest they're ever going to get to a higher education. And <laughs> the, the police and the TV stations are there waiting for them. They film and they, everybody goes home. You know, for, for a Galois and a nice glass of red wine. Absolutely, yeah. This is the real Parisian political uh, uh, effort, you see. You don't want to ruin your, your evening uh, just out of belief. <laughs> <laughs> there was um, uh, somebody who's, uh, uh, who was going to Paris and he was worried about the riots. And I said, well, I, know, I think you'd be able to hear them and you'd go down another street and they wouldn't be around. Yeah. It's really funny, you know, back in 68, the big student riots, there were all these films and, and photographs of people grappling with one another, you know, bashing one another. And then you, you, later on, you'd see the whole shot. And when the shot was taken wider, you'd see there was just a group of about 12 people and all around completely blank. No one else at all. They just set it all up. It's like theatre. Now, now, what about the, the French Revolution and the... Oh, you know, that was I'm real. That was real. <laughs> Heads rolled. <laughs> No, a funny thing, you know, you know... It's funny, it seems then to have been more real than when there were no film crews. Exactly, of course. They were back, back then, there was so little else to do. No television, you know. Go to a good decapitation, it really... <laughs> it'd launch your day, yeah. yeah. I was going to say about uh, April in Paris, that's what you said is absolutely right. When the guy uh, decided to write the song April in Paris, he wrote to a friend in Paris saying, give me a list of all the things that are in Paris I can put in. And that happened in April. And the guy replied, nothing happens in April. <laughs> all happens in May. So if you listen to the lyrics, it's all stuff that could happen any time. Cafe tables under the trees, the chestnut blossoms and everything. But the, the city of Paris was so grateful that he'd encouraged tourism in April when no one came. They gave him a medal. <laughs> I think I'd been there through the winter, so I'd been looking forward to April, and I just like, oh. 
So, uh, but those tulips in the Bois de Boulogne are amazing. Oh, they're beautiful. But the mo more interesting in the Bois de Boulogne are, are all the transsexual prostitutes, of course, with the uh, uh, enormously high heels who lurk around behind all the trees. Fascinating, I'm sure. How do, you, how do you scout those out? How do you scout that out? I know you went for the tulips, but... <laughs> But though I look at your crimson shoes, I don't know. Last time I saw those, they had six-inch stilettos on them. I, I take them off it's, uh, because it's hard on the Achilles tendon, you know. I, what, was your, what was your first encounter with, the, with Paris? Oh, gosh, way back in the 60s when I used to go there, when I came from Australia. Imagine, Australia to Paris. Uh, and uh, I, I got there just after the riots. In fact, the roads were still torn up, and you could still see the graffiti everywhere. And uh, my girlfriend at the time translated it. It said, sous le pavé les plages, meaning un under the, uh, the rocks, there's a beach, because all of the, the, the cobblestones were bedded in sand, and it was an argument. If you tore it up, then you had a beach, you see. And then you threw the rocks, you threw the rocks at the police, and then you had a picnic. Um, <laughs> And I thought then, I've got to come and live here someday, but I, I didn't go to live there permanently until 15 years ago when I married my present wife and, uh, and settled down. I came from Los Angeles to go to Paris. There you are. There's a cultural choice for you. <laughs> the, uh, uh, and, but it must have been satisfying. I mean, you've been there ever since. Absolutely, but you haven't seen my wife, you see. <laughs> your, your, uh, your account uh, it tells the story of, of, of her pregnancy and, and, then, uh, and, and then your marriage, and along the way you tell the story of, of uh, sort of the, the sexual history of the city. Well, yes, because I'm, I'm one of those people who went there uh, basically for the best romantic and sexual reasons. To cut the story short, I was living in Los Angeles and a guy hypnotized me for a project. And at the end of the series of hypnotic events, he said, I want to give you a gift. I want to give you a post-hypnotic gift. Think of the three things that have given you greatest pleasure in life. I'm, and I'm going to squeeze your left wrist each time you name them. And from now on, every time you squeeze your left wrist, you'll re-experience these things. And the third choice was a memory of some years ago with a French girlfriend in Clignancourt Market. And it was so vivid. And I was so astonished because I hadn't seen her in some years. I rang her up and I said, listen, what are you doing? Why don't you come out and see me in Los Angeles? I've got this beautiful apartment in Westwood and you know, all that. She came out. Three weeks later, we, I sold up everything and moved to Paris. Three weeks later, she was pregnant. A year later, we were married and I've been there ever since. So see what happens when you press your left wrist. <laughs> <laughs> And it's still, I still get a tingle, you know, just even after all these years. Uh, I'll let you enjoy your own memories, uh, and I'll keep my left wrist to myself. Uh, the love that dare not speak its name. <laughs> the love for the wrist rest, the sinister love of your left wrist. The, uh, in, in the course of writing about uh, anything, you, 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 of course, come across facts that you don't know that and, and things that are curious uh, what what astonished you about Paris in, in writing this book how much they love to eat I, the, the Parisians will eat anything I'm, I'm convinced of that I was taken on, on on a trip through the market on Rue Mouffetard which used to be Hemingway's favorite market and and they give you little samples as you walk through the market and uh, a guy gave me a slice of sausage and a very odd sausage gray and sort of concentric circles rather than you know like marble and I I tasted it and smelt it, and I thought, it's a bit odd. 
And I said to the friend who was showing me it, well, what's in this? And she said, uh, the trip, uh, meaning the guts. I said, oh, well, I, I understand the concentric uh, circles, but, but the, the odd smell, you know, what is that? And, and uh, she said, oh, is it because it is uh, made in uh, method uh, à l'ancienne, uh, trou de cool. I said, the trou de cool, the trou de cool, what's this? She said, I, I'm knowing this, I'm knowing this. Ah, ah trou de cool is the hassle. <laughs> <laughs> and... And you, en you enjoyed the sausage. <laughs> Before I knew that, I enjoyed it. I've never eaten it since. It's called andouillette in case you want to cross it off your menu. <laughs> I once had, I had a meal in Italy, in, and, and it, was, uh, it was sort of a spongy meat with, with little kind of look like white tubes and so forth. So something de Agnello, and I, and I, wrote, I wrote that down, and I went to the, uh, looked at the dictionary later, and it was the lungs of the lamb. Yeah, that's right. Oh, they'll eat anything. Uh, uh, any shellfish, any seafood, any vegetable, there's nothing. Now, ortolan, which is a tiny little bird, which you deep fry whole and eat, can bones, uh, feet, uh, intestines, and everything. There's a kind of, of worm called a, a lampwa, lamprey, which is cooked in red wine and the scent is so great that the way you eat it is you drape a, a napkin over your head so that you'll get the full odour. It's exactly the same system for when you're taking cocaine in water, by the way. Um, so I'm, I'm, I, I don't think there's anything I haven't tried at least once, uh, but sometimes not again, no. Yeah. Well, uh, so what about, you, you talk about the myth of Paris. Is, is Paris trapped in a myth about itself? Well, no more than San Francisco, I suppose. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, we love our myths, don't we? I mean, I, I, lo I love the fact that there are strolling uh, um, uh, accordion players and men in black berets and striped jerseys carrying a baguette under their arm and a copy of Le Monde under the other. It, it's great fun. It's great fun to play up to that. But, but, but Paris is like a kind of laboratory of experience. Anything that's been tried has been tried first in Paris. Uh, uh, sexual, social, political. After all, they sort of invented the idea of the modern revolution. They also invented uh, the brothel culture, the drug culture, the, all that stuff that we now enjoy so much. Present company accepted. <laughs> Company accepted, of course, uh, began there. I, you know, I, I, I relish the idea of uh, Edward VII, the heir to the throne, the, the eldest son of Queen Victoria, sitting around in the brothel at 12 Rue Chabanet, around a beautifully uh, uh, confected bath in which an, a naked prostitute sat, bathing in champagne, while he and, and, and the, the, the gratin of, of, of Europe sat there dipping the champagne out and drinking it. I mean, this is a hell of a party. How, how is your, uh, what's your domestic, your ordinary day-to-day -day life like in Paris? <laughs> Uh, well, I, I'm very fortunate. Uh, my, my wife is a, is a TV producer, so we, we see uh, uh, a lot of interesting people. We live on the sixth floor, uh, overlooking the sixth arrondissement. Looking, I, I, every morning the sun comes up behind Notre Dame. Uh, for me, that's how I work. Uh, we, we, of course, party and drink and carouse the live long day. As you Well, okay, so... <laughs> So when, when, you know, say some people get their sense of, of Paris from the, the time of uh, uh, Gertrude and Alice and Ernest and, and uh, William and, and so forth, and, uh, uh, that, but that's changed in a way. I mean, in part, uh, the Americans who went to Paris uh, at that time in the, in the 20s and 30s were, were dealing with uh, 
sort of an exchange rate that allowed them to live a lot better than, uh, than an American who would go to Paris nowadays. I mean, that's made a difference. The euro is now much more powerful, and the currency has changed. I mean, there's, there's been kind of a shift of cultural power in a way, too. No, they're absolutely right. The, the, this was the reason why so many people went to Paris uh, just after the First World War. It, there were three reasons. One, they, they, they were so rich they'd always gone to Paris. Uh, three, second, they were so poor that it was the only place they could live. And third, they could do things in Paris they weren't allowed to do anywhere else. You could live in Paris in 1919, 1920, rent included for five dollars a week. And that included all the champagne you could drink, which on the, on the exchange rate at the time cost 11 francs, 11 cents a bottle. So you can imagine, you, you, Hemingway could live there, Henry Miller could live there, anybody could live there. So people just flooded into France because they could be writers there uh, in a way they couldn't be in, in the cities of the United States or, or other countries. And that's how this culture, culture grew up. Do you, do you feel yourself still a tourist, a visitor in Paris? Mais non, monsieur. Pas du tout, pas du tout. Je suis français. Tout à fait français. I'm absolutely French all the way through. I, even, I smell of garlic. Smell that. What sausage were you just eating? I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, but you, you feel now uh, uh, that, that you're a Parisian. Absolutely, yes. I, 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 I think I always was. Uh, my, my father was a baker, pastry cook. And, and when we're, we're in Australia. In Australia, that's right. And yeah, when, no, but where? Where in Australia? In Sydney, Randwick. Um, for the, anybody who's ever been to Australia. I, I've just been reading Bill Bryson's The Sunburned Country. Oh, right, you know, right. Which, which is a, another wonderful book of, of exploration. And, uh, and, and he loved the Australian people. And, 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 but he also sort of describes the great sense of isolation from the rest of the world, particularly in the, in the, in the 50s and, and early 60s, uh, which I'm not sure when you left. Well, the 60s, yes, and I had to get... In those days, you couldn't afford to fly. I had to take a boat that took 30 days to get from, from Sydney to, to, to London. But, but when I got off at Portsmouth, I could have kissed the ground, really. There's nothing in Australia. It's a perfectly nice place for three weeks' holiday. You can pat, you can pat a kangaroo, you know, you can go to Ayers Rock, you can go to the, the, the Great Barrier Reef and then leave, leave. <laughs> So you weren't interested in those like giant fiberglass and wire sculptures of lobsters and pigeons and so forth that so fascinated Bill Bryson. Do you care for that sort of thing? <laughs> I, like, I like his writing about them. Uh, I know the thing you mean, the giant, the giant sheep, yes, which has a, a, a shop inside it and these, these dinosaurs. No, I hate all that, I, I have to say. I, I, as I was, was going to say, my... my, my Big lobsters or real, yeah. real, real... Real or invented, you know, because most things in Australia want to kill you. Uh, you know, there are sharks that sort of come, come on land, steal cars and ride up and down the, <laughs> the highway. It is the most dreadful place. But when my father, when he, he really wanted to... Well, you went to Paris for personal safety. Absolutely. <laughs> well, listen, you know, everything will kill you there. There are spiders, there are snakes, you know. There are, there are, there are snakes... Crocodiles. Crocodiles. Yeah. There are snakes that will kill you and the horse you are riding on in five seconds, you know. Um, or as, as Clive James once remarked, there's a certain sort of spider, a red-backed spider, that, that likes to make its home under the seats of outdoor privies. And if it bites you, you've got half a minute to live in a very difficult problem about where to put the tourniquet. <laughs> John Baxter is the, uh, is the author of 
We'll always have Paris, Sex and Love in the City of Light, uh, published uh, now in paperback. And uh, thank you very much for coming and talking with us. You, I, clearly, you'll always have Australia at some oh, point. Yes. <laughs> this is very true, but I prefer Paris. Thank you very much. John Baxter. This is Edge Thompson. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Try out others from West Coast Live right here, and we look forward to having you in one of our audiences one day. For more information, wcl.org.